Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca, and welcome back to the next episode of the Adapter's Advantage podcast. I'm excited today to have Dan Perry as my guest. Dan is with the Riverside Companies, and I want to just set the stage for you before we jump into our conversation. Dan has over 30 years of experience in sales, sales leadership, and sales consulting. He's been successful selling, leading organizations, uh, and consulting for some of the biggest companies in the world. And he currently leads the sales excellence team for Riverside's microcap fund. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Riverside's microcap fund is a private equity fund focused on making control investments in growing businesses valued up to $10 million in EBITDA. Since its founding in 2005, this fund has purchased over 89 companies with 161 add-ons and 47 exits. So to translate that, Dan has been in a lot of businesses. He's helped to consult to a lot of these portfolio companies, and they have been very profitable investments over the aggregate. So Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mark, for having me. So when I when I uh, look at your LinkedIn bio and I think about all of these different sales roles that you've had, starting way back in the era of Aramark, selling uniforms, all the way fast forward to this sort of pinnacle of, of the high-tech space. When people ask you now, so Dan, you're with the Riverside companies, what do you do? What do you say? Yeah, so our goal of the sales excellence team for the microcap fund is to accelerate revenue growth. The whole key in private equity is to sell quicker, sell for more, or sell for higher valuation. So we can accelerate the revenue growth that four times cash on cash could turn into five, six, or seven times cash on cash. Uh, and so the goal of our team is to diagnose, help transform, and then execute that transformation inside of our portfolio companies. So for, for our listeners who aren't familiar with private equity or venture capital, um, just tell them what's the, what does it mean in terms of uh, return for investors in your fund uh, or funds, the difference between four times cash on cash versus say five times? Yeah, so private equity has a lot of metrics, right? But, and we can go into all of the thousands of metrics that you can get bogged down in, but the key metric for our investors and our investors are limited partnerships that would invest money with us so we can go out and buy companies and then turn them around, right? And transform them is cash on cash return. So Mark, if you were an investor and you gave me a dollar, yeah. five to six years from now, on average, I would give you four, five, six dollars back. Yeah. So, you know, that's quadrupling your money in a sense in that short period of time. And that just to, as a reminder, that's better than most banks are paying right now. The last time I checked, <laughs> now, now a great return for most private equity companies is anywhere to two, two and a half, three apps. Right. So we're consistently beating that uh, on a 15 year basis. In fact, you know, we just had an exit that was made public uh, last week where we had 39 times cash on cash return. Wow. That's, that's remarkable. And, we, and really where we're going with this is that it's not enough that you're sort of picking a winner and just uh, putting the money in and kind of letting them do their own thing. What, you're, what this whole 
process is about is recognizing that with some subject matter expertise from you and your team, you can help accelerate that growth. That's the Correct. essence, right? Correct. So one of the things you mentioned earlier, and I just love the way you said this, and to quote, um, you help companies develop and execute their sales strategy by enabling their sales leaders and sales reps to increase productivity and accelerate revenue growth. So my question for you is, why do these newly funded firms need help in this area of executing a sales and, and sales enablement strategy? Yeah. So, you know, again, we're in the lower end of the market, right? Uh, and when we, you know, here's kind of what we find when we make an acquisition. Most of the companies that we buy have a great value proposition or we wouldn't have bought, bought them and, and are really growing sometimes even double digits. And they typically have a CEO founder who is yeah. doing product demos, maybe one, two, three, five, ten 10 salespeople are selling really well, but they rarely use a CRM. They don't have an opportunity management or, or customer success process. So There's no rigor there. Uh, they, they don't qualify leads. Uh, they don't track pipeline. They're only recording lagging indicators, not leading behavioral indicators. And, and what we try to do is transform that company to skip the scale to the growth. Yeah. Um, and I'll give you an example if that's okay, Mark. Sure, and please. And I'm going to choose one that's a little unusual, right? We have plenty in our portfolio currently of 34 companies in the microcap fund. We've got a lot of technology companies, SaaS-based software companies. We've got some manufacturing companies as well, too. We even got an organic candy company. But one of the companies that we have is a behavioral health company. And it's named Alsana. Now, Alsana provides treatment for patients suffering from eating disorders and co-occurring mental health issues. And I want to use that as an example because you think, how does a sales and marketing best practice apply to a behavioral health company like Alsana? So a little background, right? When we acquired Alsana in December 2016, the company had grown an average of 1.6 million in revenue in the four preceding years. In four years later, in 2020, we grew the company 17.8 million, and in 21, we'll grow at 18 million dollars. So it's a 10x increase in amount of revenue growth annually, right? Wow. Just in four short years. Um, and we did that by applying sales and marketing fundamentals and these, you know, leading trends onto a company that have never had that before in the past. What does that really mean? Well, Alsana being a small company, they wanted to, you know, in a sense, and this is going to sound a little academic, but sell to anybody they could to. Right. You got to think about it, right? A patient gets mostly referred by a physician, clinic, or a psychiatrist. Sure. They were calling on anybody that would really fog a mirror. What we did is we said, stop. Let's do some more better segmentation, right? Let's identify those ideal referral partners who you who would actually make better conversion rate on referring to Alsana versus another eating disorder company. Number one. Number two, let's like look at the patients that we have. They're what we call them clients, but the patients, right? What is a great patient for us versus what is a great patient for maybe another eating disorder company? And yeah. we identified on those two, but we documented all that. And then, and then built a sales and marketing organization around that with proper value proposition, proper marketing, website portals, expanded our product offering as well too, and really set into motion in quote, sales and marketing engine yes. that allowed for continuous lead flow and better conversion rates. Knowing human beings, I would imagine not every founder has open arms as soon as they hear that you're coming in to see them. What, what's the reason founders object if if they object to this uh, offering. 
Yeah, they they object because of one simple word, ego. Yeah. Right. And then it's unfortunate at times because what, what happens we when we buy a small business, you know, our businesses range from 200 million to six million dollars. 200 million on the time to exit because we've we've built a platform and then added on to that platform with other companies in organic and organic growth. But the younger, you know, the younger uh, companies that we put in our portfolio, the founders got the company and they did an outstanding job building that company to whatever revenue and even sure. amount they had, right? Yeah. But they've never, they, they sold for whatever reason. Well, there's all kinds, retirement, needed more investment, couldn't get the business to grow further, whatever those reasons are. And we come in and we try to, we really say to them, we're going to scale this business. We're going to take a $6 million company and we're going to make it 80, $90 million in five years. And the, the founder says, great initially, but then when the hard work really starts and we are then, then now quote tinkering with his baby, that, that, that then seems to be a problem. And they either, either they go, go one of two ways. They either are all on board and go along or they re highly reject what we're trying to accomplish. And that's not a good scenario for anybody because we've just invested a bunch of money into the company. Sure. They've taken that money as well too, <laughs> right. right? Yeah, right. Uh, and yet they're unwilling to actually change. So Dan, let's, let me take this back uh, just from, from kind of 30,000 feet down to ground level. Let's sure. assume some of our, a lot of our, our uh, audience is focused in sales enablement, their sales leadership, there's individual sellers. There are people within the sales ecosystem. And let's just assume that some of them are also founders. Um, knowing what you know, like you walk into a traditional, and I'm just going to use a SaaS company as a startup. This, the scenario you described earlier, it's a founder. He or she has a handful of people. You know, kind of everybody's doing everything. And they don't have anything. They don't have CRM. They don't have personas. They, where do you generally start? Like, what's the first thing you need to do to kind of ground things um, for someone listening to us in terms of what the next step is? Yeah, it's a great question. So it's really got to be Mark an assessment based on benchmarks or best practices. Uh, so in our team, we establish that benchmark by really compiling an all-star team. We have uh, on, on, on the team that, that I lead, we, I, I personally came from uh, consulting-wide sales benchmark index, but we've got members from Gardner, CEB, which is now the same company, Forrester, uh, ZS Associates, Miller, Hyman, uh, boy, Huffwave is, is part of our team, Alexander Group as well. Uh, so we try to compile an all-star Olympic dream team, right? And we've taken all of these best practices and we said, okay, when we go assess a company, we're going to compare that to best practice. And do they have the best practice or don't? How important it is to the business to actually establish that best practice and then put those fundamentals in place. There's a big point about that, Mark. What we see a lot of times with companies is they don't build on fundamentals. They build on talented salespeople. Yeah. Thinking that a talented salespeople will actually make the number for them. And sometimes they do. Right. It's, not a, it's not in a consistent way and it's not scalable. Right. So you really have to establish fundamentals. What are the fundamentals? Proper segmentation, like I mentioned, ideal customer profiles, uh, boy, buying personas and buying process maps. You've got to understand what, what revenue you're going to get and what budget you need to get that revenue. What about marketing? Do you have a brand? Do you have a campaign strategy? Not just running webinars, but a campaign strategy. Where do you get your content from? Who's writing that content? 
digital strategy? Are you know what's your what's your digital pay per click strategy? How's your sales and marketing organization going to be designed, right? And then what what are the job descriptions for that? How do you pay them? What is their quota? How do you set territories up? I mean, go on and on, right? All those things that that, that are involved in that. Those are fundamentals. At Alsana and other companies, like I described, when we put the fundamentals in place and execute upon them, then we just have to get the right talent. Right. Right. I get it. And I was just thinking, so in that regard is, is helping them to find, for example, a chief revenue officer, head of sales, is, is, does that become part of the process as well? It does. Absolutely. But it's a chief revenue officer who knows that, hey, I don't have to think of all the answers. And asking for help is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. Yep. And I'm going to go ask for help to, to actually be, be my best self and grow this organization. Uh, that's really the key to success. It's so interesting that you say that, Dan, because that's a complete, at, at, at Allego, um, not only is, uh, is the operating principle around a willingness to uh, accept mistakes, right? That, that we're going to make mistakes and that we're not going to hide them. We're going to acknowledge them. And, and frankly, my CEO says, um, you know, if you haven't made one mistake a day, don't make the same mistake every day. But if you haven't made one mistake a day, you're probably missing something, right? Because that, that's sort of indicative that you're, you're outside your comfort zone. But the, the way you just described it, I'm realizing that um, I, because I've grown up in this business, I appreciate that the Olympic dream team what, what you just said was literally like, you know, in the Ivy League, uh, the people, we've got Harvard, we've got Yale, we've got Cornell, we've got UPenn, like, and, and so for a technical founder, um, so often they don't know the sales world. So I'm curious, when you do that assessment, does grounding them in the data of being able to say, this is where you fall on the chart compared to all of the rest of the competitors that you're going after, is, is that part of what helps convince them that, okay, maybe I need some help here? It does. So our assessments, we made them quantitative, not qualitative. Because a qualitative assessment can be debated and argued. Right. Right. What we've developed is 375 questions over 22 modules that you either answer yes or no, whether you have the best practice or you don't have the best practice. It's as simple as that. And by doing that, we've taken the emotion out of, the sales and marketing organization and put it to facts and data. How about in terms of um, helping people have a consistent message, you know, for some of those folks, um, you, you listen to the call, you realize that, okay, they, they need some work here. What's the, what's the method you're using to help uh, reconcile, here's what the best practice looks like to articulate our value proposition versus what you're doing now? Yeah, so we've created a learning and management system that goes through all of these basic fundamentals. And one of those modules in the learning management system is value propositions and buyer positioning. Mm -hmm. So we, we then look at value propositions. What's the value proposition for the company? What's the value proposition for each persona? What's the value proposition potentially even for the products and services, right? So we don't want to be overwhelming, but we want to be sure that if I'm talking to Mark at a Lego, I got to be sure to use the right persona and right. say the right things that, that resonate with Mark, because Mark's very different than his, I don't know, CTO, CIO, et cetera. So true. No, it's so true. And you know, I will just share one, Dan, with you that uh, you may already be familiar with. Have you heard of Crystal Nose? Uh, I have, yes. Yeah. 
So for for uh, for those of you listening, this is a plugin now with Chrome where you go to someone's LinkedIn profile, you click the button, and it immediately brings up their disk profile. And I have to tell you, because I used it years ago and it was okay, but now I would tell you it's about 80% accurate and what a value. I mean, anyone who's ever been exposed to disk, and this would go back to sort of all the things you're talking about, Dan, um, knows that knowing someone's personality type as it relates to this persona is useful information, but very often it's hard to figure that all out in the first 30 seconds of a call to know kind of the direction you, you want to go. Sometimes after you hang up the call, you realize, okay, I, I didn't have it right. But knowing upfront that this person is more of a driver, this person's more of an expressive, like knowing more about who is it that I'm talking to to help calibrate the message you just described um, is, is an example to me of how technology is helping people to apply some of these ideas. And, and again, make it, it's just self-evident. Like, why would you not do this? Yeah, well, we use this in our establishing rapport module, right? So you would you would figure out and, and use a tool like that to figure out what what their disk profile is. But then Anthony Robbins tells Anthony Robbins tells us to mock and mirror that person, right, to establish rapport. So right. we we train that we have a module that trains that for our sales reps, right? And it all goes back to increasing revenue growth, which increases the EBITDA, provides a value with higher valuation for our investors. I love it, uh, Dan. It's really, it's real exciting what you're doing as someone who's been studying this whole business, including Tony Robbins, you know, from, from the early days uh, when he wrote Unlimited Power. So um, let me ask you this, how important is it for you? Um, or how was, let me ask it differently. How important is it for founders or other people on the management team that you and your team have, have in effect walked in their shoes? Yeah, well, I think it's huge. The reason why it provides credibility to that founder, boy, this guy was not only uh, a salesperson, you know, a sales manager, leader, or whatever, uh, and a consultant, but also an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Those things matter a lot because I've been there. I had to make payroll, right? So I get the when that happens and and how how you have to do certain things to to run the business. So when I when I talk to them, it establishes credibility. But what it really does for me. It allows my experience to quickly diagnose and rapidly correct the problem, or at least get a path to correct the problem. Uh, that's really the value that comes in. Yeah, I would imagine too, Dan, that after they've worked with you for a little bit, like they may, some may be initially resistant, but once you start to see it work, you know, it, it sort of feeds on itself and be like, all right, well, that worked pretty good. What else do you have? Right? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Correct. Uh, Absolutely. So, so uh, just related to this, as an uh, investor, you know, you've, you've been involved in a lot of these startup organizations, um, you know, whether they're at $6 million of revenue or something less than that in the microcap fund. Um, when, you, when you look at them, if you stand back in, in the aggregate, what do you see as the biggest differentiator in terms of the ones who succeed in building a sales organization to scale revenue and those who don't? Yeah, the, the ones that succeed... Um, uh, don't try and reinvent the wheel. Yeah, I love that. I really do. Yeah, just, it's such a waste of time, right? They, they, they ask for help. I mentioned this earlier, but they ask for help. They check their ego at the door. Yeah. Um, they, we collaborate effectively. And collaboration means debate, no doubt. But we yeah. collaborate effectively. Uh, and we actually then both take on responsibilities tactically to execute. 
So it's not just me saying something or them saying something. We both work on it together. That's where you really get the, the, the collaboration and the execution. Uh, an example of this was we had a business who, who originally we bought the business who provides active shooter training for unfortunate you know incidents in schools wow. right and unfortunately, that, that was a business wow it's a business yeah and unfortunately it's a you know it's a pretty active business right um uh, so we've done that but we've then bought other companies six other companies we've added on to that business to do other things at schools like incident reporting um check-in at schools so who's on campus type of situation right yeah. even monitoring social media for suicide behaviors that, that are flagged through algorithms, right? Yep. From their students. So anything that, 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 you know, we can do to help provide safety for a K through 12 school. We first started with a, a, a hunter farmer model. You know, the tradition of that is where you'd have one salesperson to go out and sell the new logo. Right. And then once they land that new logo, they would turn it over to a farmer Right. whatever that position is, to get a renewal and then cross-sell up so other products and services. What we found was that it wasn't working. So the CEO and the CRO came to the sales excellence team. We were involved anyway, but came to us and said, we're struggling. Let's figure this out. We collaborated and we decided to go to a persona-based sales organization. Hmm which is very different, right? So, so I'm now a seller. My key contact now is the CIO. So I call on CIOs. And then we have another one who calls just on uh, psychiatrists. And I have another one who just calls on chief compliance officers. Wow. So it's, a, it's a persona based. We've taken that business from losing $1.8 million and within a year, now we got a little momentum because of post COVID, no doubt, but and you're losing $1.8 million in EBITDA to actually over $12 million in EBITDA. Wow, that's a big gap. I mean, a big, big gap. All we, did, all we did was they were wise enough to ask for collaboration and best practices. And we then whiteboarded this out over the course of a day and figured out that the best way to approach that is not a traditional hunter farmer, it's a persona based sales org. You know, it, it makes me realize as you talked about diagnostics, you, you realize that, um, you know, one of the great skills uh, in the medical profession, and, and it's very related in what you just described. Um, I, I think of a friend of mine who's a doctor, genius, super bright off the charts, but he talks about how often he'll take a case where he thinks he has an idea what's really going on, but he'll bring together five or six doctors and they literally have in effect a brainstorming session and they talk through the case and they collaborate and they come out with a conclusion that's almost always better than just him doing it on his own. Yeah. And so um, as, we, as we wrap up here, Dan, you know, one of the things that you've, you've talked about that, that resonates for me is this notion of asking for help. If I had a nickel for every time I've said that, to people for whom it's not their natural way, right? They don't, they don't realize that um, so many people will ask, will help you if you literally ask for help. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's a, a biblical concept of uh, knock and the door shall be opened, right? Ask and you shall receive. Yep. And, and I've, I've had it with salespeople myself where I've tried to explain this concept and I explained to them, you successfully articulated the idea without ever using the word help. You made it actually sound like they were doing you a favor 
to do this thing for them versus literally using these words. And so I find that that, that idea that you've outlined coupled with curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. this, this fuel of curiosity of like genuinely wanting to understand how to solve the problem. It's a very, it's a very dynamic uh, duo there. So based on your experience, if it came down to one thing, what would you say is the most important skill that people who want to start or be involved in companies like those that you've described in the microcap fund, what's the most important skill you think uh, people should learn or improve today? Their ability to listen. Just you listen because yeah, there are everything that I've learned and we practice now, I didn't think of. I just <laughs> I just listened to all these best, and then aggregated it all, right? And 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 then tried to make it easy to digest. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, that's really all we're doing. <clears throat> and so, if you just listen, you know, educate yourself, read, right? But but just listen. I I, I tell my two uh, college age daughters, you the success of your life will be on two things: the books you read, and the people you hang out with. Pick your friends wisely. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, Dan. And, and I mean, the, you know, the variant on what you just said is you become the sum average of the five people that you hang around with the most. And it's absolutely true. You know, you, you see it. Um, and, and to your earlier point in the spirit of collaboration, that doesn't mean you agree on everything. And that doesn't mean you have just the same point of view, but, but the quality of the people, the quality of the ideas, the quality of the conversations, which is why I love having conversations with people like you, um, it absolutely changes the frequency that you, you vibrate at. And then you attract more people to that frequency. So I, uh, I will tell you that my, my co-founder, um, in answer to the same question, it, it, when I asked the same question, it was the same answer. It's listening. And he, he is a, he's actually quite a good listener, but he even said, even for him, listening is hard work. And particularly for introverts, it's, it doesn't come naturally. So to the extent you can consciously work at it, man, it's powerful. Yeah, it, it, it's the one thing that when we uh, have success, we go back and look at it and say, why did we grow this company? Why did we do well here? And it was because we listened, whether it's to the customer, to the organization, to what the customer's not even saying, right? Those are the things that we really pay attention to. Well, guess what? I listened to Mike Kunkel, who said, you need to talk to Dan Perry. <laughs> and I'm so glad he did. Uh, Dan, if people want to learn more about the Riverside companies, if they want to uh, learn more about you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. So you look me up on LinkedIn, uh, Daniel Perry, uh, with Riverside. I also had a big stint at Sales Benchmark Index, had a big stint at Aramark and Cintas. So uh, more than happy to, to, if you look me up and you message me, there's probably the best way versus an email because I, you know, you get like a lot of emails in a day. Sometimes you miss some. So that, that's probably the best way. And if you do that, you know, we're interested, you know, we have 35 companies, 34, actually, we just sold one, so 34, but we're raising uh, another fund right now, currently as we speak. Uh, so we will be within a year and about 40, 42 companies. Now we sell, you know, five, six a year, We buy, but we'll be 40, 42 companies. Why am I telling you that? We need good people. I have 42 chief revenue officers, 42 chief marketing officers, 12, 1300 salespeople in the fund. We need good people. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Dan, because one of the things that's been so interesting, um, both from this podcast and from some of the other 
uh, collaboration work we do with our, our clients is um, how people, particularly in sales enablement, uh, when, when they know somebody, it makes all the difference in terms of uh, opening up access to finding more of the right people. So my, my sense is that um, there, there are going to be people who are listening to this interview who recognize the kinds of things that you said during this conversation absolutely resonate because it's, it's true from their own life experience. And uh, those are the kinds of people I hope will reach out to you. Awesome. Awesome. Dan, thanks so much for joining. Mark, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Real pleasure. Take care. All right. Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.